0: Scriptures are showing us the criteria and really the qualifications that we need to have in order to be used by God. What Paul says here is he's going, look like God doesn't need the the wisest person. God doesn't need super strong people. God doesn't use people who boast in their own strength. That's That's not how it works. That like Paul is saying that God uses foolish people. That God uses weak people. That God uses broken people. And as we look at Jonah's life, I think, I think you know, you, you, you think about the call on his life, you think about the purposes on his life, and it just seems to me that, like, the greater the anointing, the greater the breaking. And that, that there, there is purpose on his life, and God is taking him through a season of, of really breaking him so that he, he'll ultimately just surrender to whatever God wants to do, however God wants to use his life. Sometimes the breaking from inside the belly of the fish that you you experience is really the provision of God to get you to be the person he wants you to be. We are in week two of a teaching series on the life of Jonah. Uh, It's a series I'm excited about. Uh, It's called uh, A Runaway People. And the reason why I'm excited about this series is because when I look at Jonah's life, I see some similarities between his life and his experiences with God and my own life, my own experience with, with God, and, and, and perhaps yours as well. Jonah has often been referred to as the runaway prophet, uh, the, the prophet who hears from God and goes in the opposite direction. Well, similarly, the people of God for thousands of years have had a similar reputation, right? We, we have been known as a runaway people, a people who when we hear from God, we oftentimes go in the opposite direction. And so I think that there's a lot from Jonah's life that we can uh, we can pull out and that we can apply to to our life. I think that uh, uh, in many ways, Jonah's story is our story because I think that, that there is a Jonah in all, in all of us. There is a propensity to uh, to give give way to fear when God asks us to do something. There's a propensity to, to know what we should do and not do it. And so uh, we're going to continue on today. Uh, last week I was able to teach through uh, chapter one, and uh, today we're going to be uh, looking at, at uh, Jonah chapter two. I want to uh, do something just a little bit different. I'm going to I'm going to read the text at the front end, um, and then uh, I'm going to pull some things out of Jonah chapter one and also chapter two here. Uh, today. So Jonah chapter 2, 10 verses, so stick with me, okay? It says this, it says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me, I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. Isn't that a good detail? To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever, but you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you. Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. It says in verse 10, and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. This is the word of the Lord. So, Recapping just a bit, looking at the life of Jonah and his story, Jonah gets this word from the Lord to go and to preach against all the evil that is happening in the city of Nineveh, which is the capital city of the great Assyrian Empire, which which was the global power of, of, of the day. This was the global superpower, the global empire. They are the chief enemy of the people of Israel. So Jonah gets this word to go to his enemy and to preach against all the bad things they're doing. This would be like a missionary in Ukraine going to Moscow, right? And I mean, something like that. It, it, it'd be like, yeah, today, somebody from, from Israel going to Tehran and, and, and uh, preaching against everything going on there. This is what's happening with Jonah. He has been given uh, you know, marching orders. God has, has asked him to do this. And uh, and what we see in the story of Jonah is that he doesn't really like what God has asked him to do. Um, right? He he becomes afraid; fear begins to set in. And I don't know. I don't know about you, but as I look at my life, I, I can see time after time after time of being, um, being led more by fear than by the Spirit of God. Right? And yet, and yet, uh, we, we see in. Paul's letters to Timothy that, that God has not given us a spirit of fear, right, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And I think so many ta- times I, 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 I can see just different moments where I have functioned more out of a spirit of fear than out of the spirit of God that lives within me, right? And, and so I think that, that as I look at my life and, I, and, I, and I, I see different like checkpoints or key moments, times where I've been gripped by fear, times where I've been motivated by fear, times where I've been paralyzed by fear, I've realized this thought about myself, and maybe, maybe it rings true for you, that everything God has for us is on the other side of fear. It's just, it's just like what I've learned over, over the years. It's like, it's, 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 it's oftentimes I have to go through that. Like, I have to go through the valley of the shadow of death, and on the other side, like, I'm finding what God has for me. How many of you know that God doesn't always call you to do things that you like to do? Anybody, anybody relate to that? And so listen to me this morning, if you, if you are someone who is waiting on God, or you're someone who's trying to hear from the Lord about something, you might be waiting a long time if the word that you have to hear is one that you like. God might speak something to you that requires you to do something that's challenging, something that's not easy, and he does this with Jonah. So, so what, does, what does Jonah do? Right? He's like, forget that. Like I'm not going to Nineveh. Like I, you know, he he is like, I don't know. I didn't I didn't I don't think I really heard that, like Nineveh. I'm not going to Nineveh. He wants nothing to do with what God has asked him to do. And so you know the story, right? He goes down to the port in Joppa, he gets on a boat, he sails for Tarshish. He tries to get as far away from God as he can. And I and, and I think that that you and I, I think oftentimes, sometimes we are not so different. I think that Jonah's story is sometimes my own autobiography, and maybe it is for you too. Sometimes we think that the further away we try to run from God, that the distance will be able to drown out his voice. And I've just, I've just seen this in my life over and over again. I've seen it in my past. It creeps into my present. I think the question from Jonah's life that we have to maybe like copy and paste onto our life is... What are you running from that you should be running to? Is there, is there anything you can you can think of? Is there anything like you just know, like something that you're running from, but you really should be running to? How many of y'all know that you can run, but you cannot hide from God? You ever tried? So Jonah like figure, finds this out, right? Because he gets on this boat, and he heads 2,500 miles in the opposite direction from where God wanted him to go. He gets on this boat, and he, he goes below deck, and he falls asleep. It's interesting because... When he falls asleep, you know, he, there is no storm. And when he wakes up, there is one. It, it's, just, it's just an interesting detail. But as he's sleeping, as he is, is in this, 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 uh, this boat fast asleep, God sends really what we would describe as a supernatural storm that was so big that the sailors on the boat who are afraid for their lives, they go down below deck, and they wake Jonah up and rebuke him for not being awake and praying to his God that they might be saved. These pagan sailors. So God sends this storm. Remember from last week, that word sent is, in, in, in the Greek, it's the very, or in the, in the Hebrew, it's the very same word that uh, uh, in the story of King Saul and, and, uh, and David, when when King Saul threw a javelin at, at him to try to pin him against the wall, it's the very same word. So it's as if God is sending or throwing a javelin at Jonah in the form of a storm to try to pin him down, to try to keep him from running. And so God it's this is a very supernatural storm. God sends sailors are afraid for their life, like they're about, the ship's about to break apart, and these pagan. Sailors who are not Jesus, or, or uh, I'm sorry, are not, not followers of God, they, they rebuke the man of God for not doing what he should be doing. Jonah has to wake up and he sees, he sees the storm. He realizes God was pretty serious about Nineveh. How many of y'all know that sometimes God will send a storm to get your attention? Right? You ever experienced that? Sometimes God will send a storm to get your attention, and the only way that storm will calm down is by surrendering ourselves over to God and to his plan. When I look at the story, it's, an, it's a fascinating story, because, because as I said already, this is a supernatural storm, but it's Jonah's storm, and as you look at the story of Jonah, like this is, this is, this is not the sailor's storm, this is Jonah's storm. In other words, like if you think about it, like the storm would not have come upon the sailors had Jonah not been on the boat. We probably can agree on that, right? The storm was, was for Jonah. So when you think about what's going on here, these sailors, right, they have welcomed Jonah onto their boat, and now all of a sudden they find themselves in the middle of Jonah's storm, a storm that really wasn't intended for them. They're just, they're just being affected by Jonah's storm. So the question I wanna ask you, have you ever had to share someone else's storm? You ever, ever had to share someone else's storm? You ever had to stop and, and take an account of your life and, and go, hey, wait a minute, is all of this drama because of my doing? Or is it because I've allowed the wrong people onto my boat? Like what is going on here? Sometimes the only way for the drama to settle and the storm to settle is if, is if you, you kick some people off your boat, you ever, you ever had to do that? And I think this is why we have to be intentional with who we allow into our life because sometimes the people we allow into our life, they're running from something. And whenever someone is disobeying God, the consequences won't just wreak havoc on their life, but on everyone's life that is around them. Have, have you noticed that? Have you noticed that in your life? It, it, it just begins to spill out like, uh, you know, uh, w- when I have, have, have chosen to run from God or not, uh, not, not obey him the way I should. It doesn't just affect me. It affects my kids. It affects my wife. I'm in a place of, of leadership in our church. It affects all of you to some level. And you think of your influence. You think of when maybe you have, have just not been interested in obeying God. It doesn't just affect you. It affects other people. It affects those around you. And so these sailors, they are having the unfortunate you know, experience of sharing in Jonah's storm. And so they ask Jonah. They come to him, and they're like, what has to be done For the storm to calm down, and Jonah tells them that they've got to throw him overboard, and that if they do that, the storm will stop. Well, the sailors, obviously, they're not interested in this. They don't want to be guilty of killing him. They don't want his blood on their hands, and so they try every other option. They try rowing harder to get back to shore. They try to lighten the load of the ship just to throw things into the water. Finally, in desperation, they relent, and they they decide to throw Jonah overboard and you know the story, the, sor- the storm suddenly, instantly becomes completely calm. It's a fascinating story, and in many ways, we probably could expect the story to end there. But in verse 17, the last verse of, of, of Jonah chapter one, it says this, it says, but the Lord provided. Everybody everybody, say that word provided with me. The Lord provided. The Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. I mean, think about that. Think about what's going on here. I mean, as Jonah hits the water, he has to be thinking that he's a dead man. Wouldn't you agree? Like, he has to be thinking that it's over, that there's no coming back from this one. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, God, key word, provides a big fish to swallow Jonah Whole. What are we talking about here? We're talking a fish swallows Jonah whole. This is crazy. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine this? It's pretty wild. We think that Jonah is, is, is likely to die as he is now thrown into this, this the raging waters of this storm, and yet God provides this this, this uh, great fish to swallow him. The fish represents, I think, two things to me. When I look at what they, what they mean to Jonah in his story and what, they, what the fish has really meant to me over the years, I think that the fish represents two things. It represents God's discipline. It also represents God's discipleship. Because inside the belly of the fish, this is where Jonah experiences really some discipline, some pain, right? This is where he's like, uh, he's coming to terms with the fact that he's ran from God and it's got him into this position. But it's also where he begins to remember who he is. It is in the belly of the fish where Jonah begins to remember that he is a man of God, that he is a prophet of God. And it's where he begins to, to remind himself and begins to grow in the Lord again. And so it, it's, it's a place of discipline, but it's, it's really a place of discipleship. Where God begins to reshape Jonah into the man that he is intending Jonah to be. And it's it's just just amazing to me how God uses this fish for some pretty incredible purposes in Jonah's life. God God steps in and he delivers him, but there is a level of discipline and a level of discipleship that happens in that process. Look at this, this question with me If God delivers you but never disciplines you, how will you ever learn? How will you ever learn? If God saves you, if God God brings salvation to you, but he never disciples you, you you never become discipled, how will you ever discover your purpose? And what's amazing to me about the story is that when, when Jonah goes into the water, he's in the scariest, worst place he has probably ever been in his life, and God saves him by providing a great fish. But what Jonah is really about to learn Right here, he doesn't realize it, but what he's about to learn is that the scariest, most difficult part was only beginning as he would spend the next three days and three nights inside the belly of a fish. Think about what that must have been like. You think about what that must be like. Inside the belly of a fish for three days, I mean, there, there can't be a whole lot of room to move around. I was thinking about, I was in, I was in some meetings on, on, on Friday and into Friday night, and I was sitting a lot. I, I remember thinking about how uncomfortable I was getting, and my back was hurting. How difficult it was to get comfortable for me. Over and I'm thinking, Jonah for three days can't get comfortable inside the belly of a fish. How does he? How does he? How do, where does he lay his head? How does he get comfortable in there? And then and it had to be pretty dark. Like I don't I don't think this fish had any windows. I don't think there's any natural light coming in. It had to be pretty dark in there for three days. Can you imagine going three days with n- not being able to see? your hand in front of you, three, it had to be disorienting. And then it, it had to smell, couldn't have smelled good. Like I hate seafood, okay, and I I hate it. And, and I, I mean, I go into like, go into like a seafood restaurant and growing up, my family all loved seafood and these dragged me along and, like I couldn't handle the smell, I can't handle the smell of fish. I can't, I, I can't handle the smell of fish at a seafood restaurant or at like a a meat counter at the store, I don't, I mean, how could you handle the smell of, from inside a fish? Like that cannot be good. This is what Jonah gets for three days? Can we all just agree that this is not a very pleasant experience for Jonah? And yet nevertheless, nevertheless, key the fish, was something that God brought along as a way to provide for Jonah in his time of need. It's interesting to me in this story that Jonah was really better off overboard, obeying, you know, obeying God finally, than he was disobeying God and still being on the, on the boat. As he, if he stays on the boat, like he's going to die. This thing's going to break apart. Like there's no future for him. Being thrown overboard in what, what appears to be like, like sure death is actually what saves him. What looked like death is actually what saved his life. Letting go and, and trusting God is what saved his life. And God provides a great fish to come and to, to swallow him whole. That's really, really interesting to me that, that when you look at those words, you look at that language that the fish is really God's provision in Jonah's life, and I want to give you this thought today. I think is really important. Do not mistake God's provision for punishment. Like I've done this in my life many times. The scriptures tell us that God provided a great fish. It's a word that is used throughout the Book of Jonah. In Jonah chapter four, we'll get you can get into that in a few weeks. But but uh, if you remember the story of the of the, uh, um, the plant that, that, uh, that grows up, right? And provides shade for him. It says, it says that God provided that. And, and then he provided the sun to scorch it, right? Like, it, like it's the language used throughout Jonah. It's the provision of God in his life. You ever had a season in your life where it was as if you were in the belly of a fish? Like Jonah, you ever had a season like that? It's just like this is not where I w- I wanted to be. This is this man. This did not go as I thought it would. This is this is difficult. You ever a season like that where you know you distort- you can't see in front of you, so to speak. You, it's just not going well. And I think that it can be very easy when you're in the belly of the fish to assume that God is punishing you. Most people in this situation find themselves very, very angry at God. They're like, God, what are you doing? How how could you let me go through this? And and there just becomes this anger towards the Lord. But I want you to catch this thought. I think that if you aren't careful, if you and I aren't careful, we will begin to view the fish as punishment when really God sent the fish to protect and provide for us. And so we, we completely miss out on what's going on here. We're viewing this as, like, as God just being mad at us and angry. And, and there is some level of discipline and, 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 and pain that's associated with it because, man, it's not comfortable in there. I can't see right now. But, the, but what's going on, the provision of God is that he is, actually, he is actually reshaping Jonah inside the belly of the fish to be the man that he's supposed to be. Maturity in the Lord is when you are able to differentiate between God's discipline and his provision. I think it would have been easy for Jonah to view the fish just as, as, uh, um, as punishment. And as a result, like I think, I think we, we you know, would have seen Jonah get really angry at God. But as you read the story, this is not what happens with Jonah. He does not do that. And what we see happen in chapter two is really, really incredible. And I think it's actually the opportunity that God lays before all of us as well. And here's, here's this thought. As I read through chapter two, this is what I saw, that from inside the belly of the fish, Jonah was able to develop the right spirit before God. What's what's the spirit? What is that spirit? Inside the belly of the fish, Jonah developed a spirit of brokenness. This is what happens in Jonah chapter two. He develops a spirit of brokenness, and why is that so significant? The reason why that's so significant is this thought on the screen, because God only works with broken things. God only works with broken things. And I wanna just encourage you, you gotta get broken before God. You and I have to be people who are broken before God. If we're not broken before God, then that means that we, we end up being really full of ourselves. As if we have a lot to bring to the table. But God only works with broken things. He only works with empty things or depleted things. You and I, we don't, we don't come to Jesus full of ourselves with all of this stuff to offer him. We come to Jesus broken, with nothing left in the tank. We come to him depleted. We come to Jesus and we say, man, I, I have tried everything and nothing has worked. Will you take me in my emptiness and in my brokenness and will you do in me what only you can do? I've tried to do it myself and I can't. Like, like this is what happens to Jonah. He, he develops a spirit of brokenness before God from inside the belly of the fish. Paul writes about, about this idea how God only really works with broken things and in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 27 through 29 Paul writes and says but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong he chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him i mean these are huge verses these scriptures are showing us the criteria and really the qualifications that we need to have in order to be used by God. What Paul says here is he's going, look, like, God doesn't need the, the wisest person. God doesn't need super strong people. God doesn't use people who boast in their own strength. That's not, that's not how it works. That, like, Paul is saying that God uses foolish people. That God uses weak people. That God uses broken people. And as we look at Jonah's life, I think, I think, you know, you you think about the call on his life, you think about the purposes on his life. And it just seems to me that like the greater the anointing, the greater the breaking. And that that there there is purpose on his life, and God is taking him through a season of of really breaking him so that he'll ultimately just surrender to whatever God wants to do, however, God wants to use his life. Sometimes the breaking from inside the belly of the fish that you, you experience is really the provision of God to get you to be the person he wants you to be. And I just wanna say that if you wanna be used by God, you have to get broken before him. You gotta get broken before him. And so I want you to think of this. Uh, if any of you have ever broken a bone um, when you break a bone, like, what do you do? You know, you, you go to the doctor. They usually set it, put it in a cast. But what does the cast practically do? If you've, ever, if you've ever had to wear a cast, what does it practically do? Practically speaking, the cast restricts mobility. It holds the bone in place that it might heal and that it, that it would become whole, that it would be put back together again, right? And so what I want you to do in this, with the this story of Jonah is I want you to think of the fish as behaving practically as a cast for Jonah's destiny. That's what's, that's what's happening here. This is the, he, he's in a place, there's not a lot of, can't move probably very well. There's probably not a lot of mobility. He's not getting comfortable. He can't see. It doesn't smell good. It's, it, it's behaving, this fish is behaving as a cast for Jonah's destiny. Inside the fish, Jonah is being put back together. so that through this he might heal and become shaped into who he was meant to be all along. So the question you have to ask then is, how do I know if I'm broken before God? How do I know if I am broken before God? And I just think that you know you're broken before God when you can pray what Jesus prayed. You know, not my will, but your will be done. Brokenness is necessary. It's what we are called to. Spirit of brokenness before the Lord. I don't have it all figured out. I can't do all of this on my own. But what we see in Jonah's story, and what I, what I think is true, is that brokenness is a season, it's not a destination. The intention wasn't for Jonah to go on living in the belly of the fish. The belly of the fish was not his destination. It was meant to develop something in Jonah to, to reshape Jonah so he could be strengthened into the person that God has called him to be. But thank God that he didn't have to live there. And so if you find yourself in a season like that, similar, it would be your you know, proverbial belly of the fish moment. You gotta, you gotta hang on to the good news that like it's, it's a season, it's not a destination. That God takes us through these things sometimes. He allows us to go through things sometimes because there there is great, it's actually actually providing an opportunity for us to to, to be shaped into the people he wants us to be. I think that the the belly of the fish is where you you, you begin to ask the question, what do I do when I don't know what to do? Like this has to be Jonah, right? Like, what do you do when you don't know what to do? I think that there's only one thing you can do. It's what Jonah does all throughout Jonah chapter two, and it's that you gotta pray. You've got to pray. Jonah 2.1, it says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. This is what happens, okay? You know the whole story now? All the disobedience, the storm, overboard, the fish, and he's like, oh man, I'm in trouble. And from inside the belly of the fish, he prayed to the Lord, his God. I wanna pull out a few observations from Jonah 2 uh, to help us this morning. Um, when we feel like we're in the belly of the fish, what should our prayers look like? Let me give you a few observations. Number one is I think that they should be uh, uh, prayers of precision. Prayers of precision. When Jonah prays in Jonah chapter two, it's a prayer of precision. The prayer is precise. It's specific. Jonah Jonah goes to great lengths to describe his situation to the Lord. Nothing else really seems to matter. The only things he's praying about in Jonah 2 are what is in front of him, right? Like, he's not praying, like, like for his parents, you know, or whatever. Like, he's not praying anything else. It's like, I'm in this situation, and he starts to get very specific about what's going on, I think that there is something about getting specific and detailed in our prayers. The great reformer Martin Luther says this, he says, pray and let God worry. Pray and let God worry. I think it's amazing how detailed and precise we can be with our worry and how generic we can be with our prayers. I feel like I've flipped that so many times I can tend to lean towards worry, and I become so specific. I'm like, hey, it's this, it's this, it's this, and this. And but the prayers can be so much more generic. It's just like, hey, God, I, you know, just fix it. And I just think that if we have some specific worries, some precise things that we end up walking through, if we have some spe- some precise problems or some specific challenges. Why do we offer up shotgun generic prayers? I remember, um, it's gonna be six, it's six years now, like this month, but when uh, uh, my Uncle Rick first had his, his, his heart attack, which led to some um, brain damage. Remember, we were in the hospital every day for, for over a month as he was in the ICU. And uh, I mean, so much prayer. Like, I, I remember like, as I was meeting with doctors and trying to figure out what was going on, like, I learned brain terminology during that time. Like, I started praying for things that I knew very little about. Like, I started praying, you know, for for synapses to start to fire, for the cortex to wake up. I started praying. Like, I'm like, I, I think that's the right word. Like, I'm praying, God, would you just specifically touch these things? Prayers of precision. I don't know about you, but I've had some I, I have, right now in my life, I have some detailed and specific things I need God to do in my life. I, I just do. I don't need God to do something generic. So why should I offer up a generic prayer to him? And I, I think that as Jonah is in this broken state before the Lord, the spirit of brokenness is upon him, where he's being reformed and reshaped into the man God's called him to be, we see him praying precise prayers, prayers of precision, but what happens too is he also just begins to pray scripture. Like, 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 and you may miss it if, if you, don't, you don't really understand what you're, what you're looking for, but he begins to pray scripture from, from the book of Psalms. Listen to me, praying scripture is great. It's a great thing to do when you don't know how to pray. But I wanna, I wanna just point some of these out to you. Jonah 2.2, it says, um, Jonah says, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help and you listened to my cry. Well, look at Psalm 30 verse three and how, look at the similarities. David writes and says, oh Lord, you brought me up from the grave. You spared me from going down into the pit. You see the similarities? Jonah has heard this before. He's drawing from something he's heard, something he's read, something he has sung before. Jonah 2 verse three he, he, he says, he prays to God, he says, you hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Psalm 42, verse seven, David writes and says, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. Look at this, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. See the similarity. Jonah 2, five, Jonah prays and says, the engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me seaweed was wrapped around my head. David writes in Psalm 69, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. He's drawing from something he has read, something he has sung before, There's something very familiar going on here. There's there's more I could give you. Let me just give you one more. In Jonah 2.9, he prays and says, but I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And David writes in Psalm 66, I will come to your temple with burnt offerings and fulfill my vows to you. Vows my lips promised, and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. What, What is Jonah doing? What's he doing In Jonah 2, as he's praying, he's sampling a song that he heard in the past. I I think that one of the reasons why, you know, I I would say church matters and why we should come to church regularly is because even though your life might be good right now and everything may may be fine in, in, in the moment, there's gonna come a difficult time where you're by yourself at home or you are in your car and hopefully there is a word that is written on your heart Hopefully, you've you've been taught, and and you have sat under teaching, and you have been in community with people, and you find yourself in a moment where there there is a word that has been written on your heart, so that in your darkest hour, you got a song that you can sample from the past. I've sung that song before, and I'm going to sing it right now. All of a sudden, the word of the Lord comes to you in a moment of distress, and it fills your mouth, and you know what to pray. You've got something to pray. Start saying, God, I have a prayer. I, I, I need a breakthrough. God, I need you to bless my life this way. Lord, I need you to step in. And all of a sudden, you've got something to pray. I think that if we have specific worries, maybe we should, we should be careful about offering up generic prayers. Amen? Jonah chapter two, we also see a prayer of passion. It's a prayer of passion. Jonah's in the belly of the fish. He's in a bad place, and he begins to pray to God with great passion. Look at this. Jonah 2, one through two, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me from the depths of the grave. I called for help, and you listened to my cry. I mean, he's given us this picture of real emotion. Jonah's given us this picture of like real passion here. I think it's amazing how often we can, like, you know, we can come to church and we can treat it as as if it's this sort of compartmentalized area of our life. We develop this religious spirit that, you know, God is distant. And even our behavior might indicate that we think that that's true, that we think that He is distant. We don't want to show emotion. We don't want to lift our hands. We don't want to worship loudly. We don't want to cry before the Lord. We don't want to show vulnerability. We hide behind this lie that says, man, all of that is just emotionalism. All of that is just sensationalism. But with every other area of our life, we are people who are full of emotion. Literally, almost every area of our life, we are people who are full of emotion. I remember you know, meeting and marrying my wife. I mean, I know that was like the best cognitive decision I could ever make. Pretty good deal. But don't, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like when I met her, I was like, continued to get to know her. I I, I felt something, right? There was some emotion involved. Why, Why is it that sometimes when we come to God, we think that prayer is to just, Simply be logical. I, th- I think it can be at times. But prayer is also emotional. It-, it should be full of passion. God, in my distress, you heard me. You heard my cry. It's a relationship. God is as real to me as you are. It's a relationship. I remember years ago going to a uh a Nebraska football game with, with my uncle, uh, Marv, and uh, I'm a, I'm a uh, pretty, big, pretty big UNL fan, and uh, at halftime, no matter where your seats are, you can go down underneath the, the bleachers and, and you can line up on the side of the, the red carpet that the players come out of the locker room on and, and you can be like right there. Uh, and so we went and did this. So we went down below in the tunnel and uh, the players start coming out, and man, I am, I am losing my mind. Like, like literally, I, I, am, I am going crazy. Like I, I am married, I'm a pastor, I have kids. I'm, I am like hitting them on the helmet. Like, like, like I, am, I am just jacked out of my mind right here, right? Like and hitting them on the pads, going nuts. And then like, after they all go by, I, I'm like, I'm a little embarrassed. I'm like, these are like 19 to 22-year-olds, and I, I cannot believe, I, I mean, what did I just do? They have no idea who I am. And I, I just, I don't know, I just had this moment of, of realizing, man, if I can have that kind of emotion towards my team, I gotta be willing to have that kind of emotion towards my God. Man, when you're in distress inside the belly of the fish, look at this thought. When you're in distress inside the belly of the fish, being discipled in there, being disciplined and shaped, you can cry out to God as loud as you want and he will respond to you. He wants that. He wants us to be people of emotion with him. Why not offer up a prayer of passion? You ever notice that, uh, that when you start to get desperate, you get determined? You, 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 you ever been in a, in a place of desperation? I remember, uh, I've told this story maybe a couple times, but, but I remember years ago when I, when I was growing up um, in, in uh, Arizona, uh, we were playing basketball outside in the, in the uh, heat of the summer, and um, you, know, you play for a while, you start to get really hot, really thirsty, and so we were playing basketball outside at church, and my bro- my, you know the game's over, my brother is just like famished, so he goes up to the spigot outside the church, and he puts his, his mouth under there, and it's like scalding hot, Water, like that's what happens, you know, down there. So, uh, he, he's like, ah, and it like burns him. So, then he he all he can think about is just quenching his thirst. So, he runs inside and, um, and he, um, he runs into the kitchen, opens up the refrigerator, and he grabs like the first thing he can find that's in like a, a, a jug. And it he grabs what looks to him to be, you know, like tea or something like that. And he goes and he just begins to chug it, like he doesn't, he just begins, I mean, it's just like like a blind pursuit. And at, almost as soon as he starts to swallow it, he starts to spit it out because it was gasoline. And, uh, right, it was, it's was, it was crazy. And so he, uh, so apparently, you know, at our church, you know, at the time, you know, the, when the gasoline was in the, uh, the storage room, people thought that during the week it would get too hot in there, again, Arizona heat, and so they put it into a, a milk jug, put it in the refrigerator, I mean, Crazy. Like, I've thought of that story so many times because, like, we had to call poison control. Like, like, for a week, every time he would burp, he would taste gas. Like, crazy, right? But I remember that story. We talk about it, and, and usually when I use that story in a sermon, I text him afterwards. I'm like, yeah, I told your gasoline story again. <laughs> I remember him being so thirsty that he had one thing on his mind. He was determined to quench his thirst. He was so desperate that he became determined. Desperation leads to determination. I, I think of times where I've been incredibly thirsty, where I've been desperate to quench my thirst, where I've been desperate for water. When, when I become desperate for water, I go looking for water. I'm, I'm determined to find it. Finding water becomes my pursuit. There may be all kinds of other things that matter, other, other things I've gotta get done, but like really there's one thing on my mind. Like I cannot get to these things until I, find this one thing because desperation leads to determination. And the question is, what are you desperate for? What are you truly desperate for? Some of us in this place right now, we actually find ourselves desperate for all the wrong things. We become desperate to like make our name great, desperate to build our career, desperate to be liked, desperate to have, you know, all the, all the stuff I want you just to listen to me for a second here. That desperation is gonna lead to a determination that will ultimately lead to destruction. You'll become determined to find those things and it will lead to destruction. So what I, what I think is interesting is that desperation is not wrong. It just comes down to what you're desperate for. And I, man, if you could just hear my heart for a second, like I want us to be a church that gets desperate to hear from God. I want us to be a church that, that's desperate for his presence. I, I love, you know, creativity in church. You know, I, I've been around church my entire life. I love it, you know, when there's excellence in terms of the presentation. And, you know, I, I can get a little, like, I don't know, a little too particular sometimes. I'm like, man, the transition's got to be good. I just want it to be excellent. But, but I, I want you to know, like, all of that pales in comparison to the tangible presence of God. And throughout history, the presence of God has always shown up when the church got desperate all throughout history. Man, I want the men of this house to be desperate to be men of God, desperate to love your wives and lead your family with integrity and character. I want the the women of this house to be desperate to walk in the character of God, to raise kids that that fear God and that love humanity. I, I want that for our church. I want us to be a church that's desperate. I don't want us to wait for the, the belly of the fish, you know, moment to come so that desperation can finally break out in this place. Man, let's be people who let our desperation lead to our determination. Jonah prays a desperate prayer from within the belly of the fish and it's full of passion before God. And one final thing I notice is that is it is that Jonah has this, this proper prayer posture. It's like an appropriate prayer posture. Look at verses nine through ten. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Right? He's gonna make good on what he originally had vowed. Follow God. It's a salvation comes from the Lord, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. One thing I noticed in this, I'd never seen this before, but when I stopped on verses nine through ten, and it just it just hit me like, what is going on here? And I realized that in Jonah chapter two, Jonah Jonah is not praying a prayer for deliverance. This is a prayer of deliverance. The posture of Jonah's entire prayer is a posture of gratitude. Uh, let, let me explain all this, right? Like, like he he is in the belly of the fish, and there is there, there is a song of thanksgiving that is coming out of him. And he has this posture of gratitude. One of the things I've learned in my life, and maybe, maybe you've seen this too, is that gratefulness has an incredible ability to produce faithfulness. Like, I don't wanna always be faithful to God. I don't always wanna follow where I've been, but like, like gratitude, like thanking the Lord, remembering all that he's done has a great way of an incredible ability to produce faithfulness. It's like, I've done it then, God's, God's been faithful, I'm gonna continue down this path. But when I've been in seasons of like not, being very grateful, not remembering like the things that God has done, his fingerprints on my story, it's made it that much more difficult to faithfully walk with God and do the things that he's asked me to do. And so Jonah is praying a prayer in the belly of the fish. Listen to me, I'm I'm almost out. And it's a prophetic prayer. Prophetic. He's, He's still in the belly of the fish. But he's thanking God ahead of time. He's thanking God that he's been delivered from the belly of the fish, and yet that hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet. This is like some incredible faith, isn't it? <laughs> Jonah's essentially going like, God, I'm not where I wanna be. I'm not where I need to be. But regardless of that, I'm gonna get thankful right here in this position. I'm gonna get thankful before you, and I'm gonna pray the prayer of deliverance rather than the prayer for deliverance. It's prophetic. He's declaring it. He's praying it, he's believing, he's coming into agreement with it. He believes is the character and nature of his good God. He's praying the prayer of deliverance, not the prayer for deliverance. It's not, oh God, will you save me? He's thanking God because he already has saved him. It It just hasn't physically manifested yet. I mean, he's just like, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna give thanks as if I'm already out of this fish. And this is the posture of someone who's praying with real gratitude in their heart. I remember during COVID, I went to go get in my car one day and, and I wish I had a better story than this, but I threw my back out. I wish I was like doing power cleans or something stupid, um, which makes no sense. Like, uh, I wish I was like doing something, you know, uh, m- you know, you know, that, that would look tough and whatever, but I, I was just getting into my car. And um, my back goes out, and so I had to go uh, to, the, to the chiropractor, and I, I found this chiropractor down on Ingersoll, and uh, went to see him, and he took these x-rays, and it's like, oh man, like it's, it's all messed up, and he's like, in order to reshape your spine and your neck that are out of place, it's, it's gonna take some time, and it's gonna take some pain. It was like really encouraging, you know? Uh, X-rays showed that my spine had to be had to be moved back into place, right? And so, I remember him him basically telling me. And and the guy was rough. Like I, like I haven't I haven't been back to him in in. A, I went like, 14. I didn't tell the treatment was over, but like I don't honestly like I don't really like the guy. And uh, he he would hurt me like bad. Like I I think he's a nice guy, but like he, I don't know. I'm like, man, did you like fight with your wife this morning? Like what is going on? Because he would like hurt me, and um. He had these tools, and I used to be like, hey, like, what are you doing? And he'd say, man, if it's hurting, it's helping. I'm like, no, really? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if that's true. I'm not sure I believe him now. But I do think that's true with God. If it's hurting, it's probably helping. What's interesting to me is that in Jonah 2, you don't find Jonah complaining about being in the fish. He's giving God praise, he's thanking God, and he has a posture of gratitude. Last thought, you guys can come on up, is that, you know that your heart posture is correct when it's painful, but you're still thankful. That'll preach. You know that you have the right posture of gratitude when it's painful, but you're still thankful. I don't want you to to mishear me today. I'm not not saying that we should should enjoy necessarily being in the belly of the fish. I'm not saying that we should like the circumstance. I'm not saying that we should just be like, yeah, God, bring it on. I'm not saying that we should like betrayal or that we should like disappointment or whatever, you know, fill fill in the blank. But I do think that we should have a perspective that says I'm walking through this pain and it's not for nothing. God is shaping me. God is forming me. God is molding me into the man or into the woman that he's called me to be. This is not a wasted season. This is not all for nothing. God has caught me. He's provided for me. And in his goodness, to not give up on me, to not turn his back on me and to still use me in spite of my running. In this season, he's gonna reshape me into the person he wants me to be. And there might be a little pain involved. My encouragement to all of us is don't give up now. Don't give up now. Don't quit, get your posture right. Get your posture right before God. Remember his goodness. Remember all the times that he was faithful. Remember, sing the song that you sung before. Recite the truth in God's word that you've memorized before. Walk in gratitude. Walk in thankfulness. The good news is that that fish is about to vomit. It's not going to hold you forever, it's not a place you're going to be forever, not a destination. Would you stand up? Man, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't it interesting to think about a God who would pursue you even to the depths of the sea? Man, isn't that wild? Like, what kind of love is that? Bow your heads. If you were here, if you're here today and you would just say, Pastor Jordan, I've been in a season that's as if It's the belly of the fish. I don't want to be there. It's not been fun. It hasn't been comfortable. I can't see my way out. Feeling a little desperate. You know that this is a season that God really would like to use and you got a point of just like, you you want deliverance, but but you're realizing right now that there's also some things you need to surrender to let God do and produce in you. You just haven't quite surrendered yet. Can I, can I just see your hand? If you're there, can I just help Can I just help encourage you with some prayer today? Come on, just, just like give it over to the Lord. Surrender to him, right? He's such a good father. God, I ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you'd come alongside your people here today. You'd lift every head that's discouraged. Every person who sees no way out Every person who's carrying just something heavy on their back right now, whatever the belly of the fish moment represents for them, God, I do ask for deliverance. But I thank you that you're a good Father who uses these kinds of moments to produce in us things that may not ever get produced otherwise. And I thank you that we are might be in a season, but that it's not a wasted season. And so, Lord, I pray deep encouragement to everyone who is discouraged. I pray. Father, that you would put your arms around every person right now who's just struggling to continue the good fight. God, may they sense your presence. May they know that you are close. But God, we come before you, and we just want to be people who are surrendered, people who have a broken spirit before you, people who aren't just doing everything we can to put ourselves together, but realize that the only way to be anything is to be broken so that you can build us into the people you want to be. So God, would you break us? Would you take us and use us, form us, mold us, shape us into the people of God that you have in mind? Lord, I pray courage, I pray strength over every person here today, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.